Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show, where we celebrate every single day the amazing people who make this place, coastal Mississippi, and Mississippi for that matter, such a great place to live, work, and play. You know, we are fast approaching the end of the hurricane season, and this hurricane season was about what they expected, an El Nino year. Um, it played out about the way they expected it to play out. Uh, we worried a little bit along the way, but as it turns out, coastal Mississippi dodged another hurricane uh, season bullet uh, and and we'll you know we'll now look forward to next year and see how it all plays out but there's not a better guy to chat about the hurricane season not just here in America but really around the world than my friend Josh Morgan I cyclone uh, he is the hurricane man himself uh, the by the way if there was a world record for hurricane uh, chases or in in the eye or in the eye wall he would hold it literally in hurricanes around the world. How you doing, my friend? Real good, Ricky. It's uh, good to be back. Feel like uh, feel like I haven't been here on this show in a while. Well, you know what that means? <laughs> it means it was it was kind of good for us, not just us here in coastal Mississippi, for us in the Gulf region. Uh, we, you know, we did we did have one to, uh, storm to contend with, but at the end of the day, I followed up after that into the Big Bend area of uh, of uh, Florida. Not long after that, and uh, you know they they mostly dodged a bullet. Could have been very significant. You and I have chatted a little bit about that, but man, you've been all over the world. You've, you've you just got back from a a, a, a specific uh, celebration, or I actually celebration is probably not the word, but it's a celebration of resiliency from the Philippines and and Hurricane or Typhoon Haiyan. We'll talk a little bit about that here in just a second. But before we get into the sort of tropical discussion, uh, most people know by now that you're building a house. You have a very very successful business in uh, in uh, L.A. You have a home in L.A. You spend a lot of time in L.A., but during the season, you now have a secondary home that you're building here in coastal Mississippi in Bay St. Louis, and uh, you're getting close to being finished with that, aren't you? Getting real close, yeah, yeah. It's been a, you know, it's been a, a big process, but uh, you know, we're getting down to like things like trim and paint colors now. So yeah, definitely getting there, and it's it's very exciting. You know, I've never built a house, and it's uh, I don't have kids, but I imagine it's sort of like you know, watching a, a kid grow and be born. That's what it feels like. It feels like a birth struggle, but uh, almost there. And very, and actually, it's very exciting now because when I go in the house, I'm starting to get a feel for what it's actually going to be like to to live in it to in it to breathe in it to plan chases in it yeah so what's what's cool about your house as we've discussed before but but if someone's listening for the first time 
Josh and I shared a lot of a lot of um, uh, notes along the way because, uh, as most of you know, my family and I stayed at our house on Back Bay for Hurricane Katrina, and many times during that storm, we wondered if we were going to survive. Uh, we eventually uh, sold that house and built a house next door. And when we did, we took all of the learnings from the Katrina experience and we built to what is called the gold standard. And it requires very very specific things that you do, and it has to be certified. And then by doing that, you, first of all, you got a you got a more sturdy structure to stay in for the next storm, but also you get better insurance rates on top of it. So we went through that process. Josh has gone through that process at his home in Bay St. Louis. He, 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 what was interesting about the journey that you've been on, you picked a great architect, a good builder, and a, a number of other partners along the way that have helped you kind of build this house that is to a gold standard that would be something that you'd be willing to stay in for a major hurricane that might hit Bay St. Louis. So it's been a, it's been a it's been a hell of a journey for you, hasn't it? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I learned a lot along the way. You know, when I started building this house, I didn't know anything about it, and I learned a lot about you know all the ways that you make a house you know wind resistant and everything else. And uh, you know, the house it's it's a I would say it's a good combination of sort of good old fashioned sort of you know uh, b- building wisdom plus some new technologies and everything else. But yes, in terms of wind, I feel very confident in this house that I would you know that I could ride out almost any hurricane in it. You know, the water is another story, you know, um, but the house is, you know, it's fairly, it's, it's on fairly high ground. The ground is 19 feet and the house is raised several feet above that. I mean, you can see the gulf. It's right down the street. It's only a block and a half away, but the the, the first floor of the house is, uh, or the ground floor is 23 feet above. So basically the only way water is going to reach it is another cataclysm like Katrina, um, you know, where water did reach that property. Uh, but you know, life is all about sort of calculated risk. And uh, Katrina was, you know, folks in, in Mississippi, you, you know, we have the unfortunate honor of, of having the, the storm surge here in, uh, in, in the western part, like in Hancock County and western Harrison County. The storm surge in that area around Waveland, Bay St. Louis, past Christiane, Long Beach, that was the highest storm surge on record in the western hemisphere in any hurricane. So that's kind of like an unbelievable stat. So that was like an absolute worst case scenario. And I decided, you know, I don't think that's going to happen again. Statistically, it's unlikely in the next 50 years. So I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> so. so you're going to build a house that will withstand the wind. And, exactly. and that's what you did. But it's, you know, something to plan that. It's for, you know, my wife, Ann, and I have been through several building projects together over the, the life of our marriage. And we've had we've had good luck we've had some cost overruns along the way we know what that looks like but you learn a lot and when you're you know getting a, when you're getting into the gold standard part of it um, th- i mean you really can't have a weak point because what will happen is the the wind will find the path of least resistance so it has to be buttoned up and w- whether you're talking about bolting the 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 the, the, the uh, roof to the to the uh, foundation or whatever it might be um, you can't leave a stone unturned. It's been fun to watch you through your planning. You went through all that process to say, okay, here are the things that we're going to do. But then you actually watch it take place. And it gives you more confidence, doesn't it, that you've built a really, really safe house. 100%. First of all, I just want to uh, 
say thanks to you and Anne. Uh, Anne in particular, you know, you know, we've had some good conversations, but Anne was full of uh, some good wisdom about, you know, having been through the process of building a home. You know, she gave me some really good advice about, you know, before the walls are closed up, like getting pictures of like all the kind of inner workings of the wiring and stuff so that if something happens, you know, you, you know where things are. Anne had all kinds of good advice about that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, what I've learned most is the importance of sort of the the interconnectivity of all the pieces that the walls have to be really bolted to the foundation the top plate needs to be really bolted to those walls the roof needs to be really seriously fastened to that top plate everything like like there can't be everything's got to be super like like just just sort of really connected and that's the way that you kind of that you know the, that's the way you ensure that nothing's going to rip off in a hurricane. You know, when you get those really intense hurricane winds, it's not just sort of horizontal force. It also causes what's called uplift, where actually literally things are pulled upward. And that's a big part of what causes like roofs to come off and stuff like that. So these are some things you have to kind of anticipate, you know, and, and, and sort of make sure that your house can resist. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that, you know, the codes down here, are pretty strict, you know. Um, the the city inspector for Bay St. Louis has come by a couple times, and they've had a couple little things that they wanted us to do, and you know, and I don't mind it. I think it's good. I think the more eyes on the house and the more little nitpicky things, the better, because it's going to give me that peace of mind when you know when another you know crazy hurricane comes in. You know, uh, going back before Katrina, going back to Camille, you know, the eye of Camille, which was the second strongest hurricane in U.S. history in terms of uh, wind speed, the eye passed right over Bay St. Louis, and uh, my neighbors across the street, they, they're a family that's been there forever, so I talked to the woman who lives there. She's a teenager at the time. But um, the water did not actually get up there in Camille, but they obviously had crazy wind. So I, so I was like, all right. So I think the house I built, I could, I could, I could ride out the second coming of Camille in that house. I believe it's, it's an interesting process, though. You go through all this like fortification conversations, and of course, you want it architecturally to be fitting with the sort of style and sense of place for Bay St. Louis, and that it's a good fit, and that you want to be a great neighbor, and you're building something that adds value. You go through all those conversations, and then the the sheetrock starts to go up, and then you start to see, wow, you know, these are actually rooms here now, and I can walk through it, and this is where the kitchen's going to be, and and you go through, it's like you go to a new phase of the building process and then and then the paint starts to go up and you know the cabinets start to go in and you start to feel wow this is this is the house that I'm going to I'm going to be in it is it's a cool process isn't it oh completely and it's funny you talk about you know there's a few phases of the of the of the process where you really have a moment where you're like oh wow and one of them was the sheetrock going up it's really the opposite of what I expected happened. Like I thought, okay, once the sheetrock goes up and then it's like the space is divided into a bunch of little rooms, then it's going to feel really small. And it was actually the opposite. Once it gets the walls, bigger. It gets bigger. Yeah, once the interior walls went up, I'm like, wow, man, this is like a big house. Like, well, to me it is at least. But I was like, I just felt like, oh, cool. Okay, it's like a real house. For some reason it felt smaller when it was just, you know. Right. One big space, which I thought was kind of counterintuitive, but, but yeah. an interesting moment. 
It's an optical illusion. It definitely is an optical illusion that, that takes place. But once you get the walls in place and the height of the ceiling in place and you start to get sort of this expanse of the rooms and whatever, it really then starts to say, become a home that you can say, wow, now I can really live here. Hey, listen, when we come back on the other side with Josh Morgan, we're going to talk about a recent trip that he took to the Philippines to observe the anniversary of, of Haiyan. A major, major experience and it was amazing to watch how the community was so receptive to you and your partners. We'll see you after this. and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with Josh Morgan, I Cyclone, the Hurricane Man, you name it. He's been called it. He is a, is a world record holder. He would be a world record holder if there was such a thing for chasing hurricanes around the world. It's just something he's good at and does and knows how to do it and will continue to do it, I guess, until you can't do it anymore. Is that your plan? I mean, that's one of the reasons I'm planning to retire here in this house that I'm building is so that even when I'm a real old guy, I can I can stay in the game and still do local chases. That's inc- that's incredible that you do it. Hey, listen, uh, we're going to come to this anniversary in, uh, for Typhoon Haiyan here in just a second, but let's uh, let's kind of bring people up to date on what you're doing. You got a you got a, a, a very very significant social media presence to iCyclone. You you've got the Weather Nation gig. You've got a reality show that you've worked on over the time. Um, kind of update us on all those different bits and pieces. Yeah, so uh, my Weather Nation gig, it's a seasonal gig, and it's almost up for this year because we're coming to the end of the Atlantic season. Uh, Love working with them, as I've said many times. They give me so much creative freedom that I get to just come, you know, I get to come up with sort of new formats, uh, you know, new ideas in terms of kinds of content. And they're they're just, they really let me experiment and it's uh, it's great. And I, I just, I like so enjoy working with them. And even when I'm covering a hurricane, they're very sort of flexible in terms of how they let me do that. Whereas with some of the other news type channels that I've worked with, it's much more rigid. You know, you have producers kind of breathing down your neck, just basically dictating to you how you're gonna how you're gonna tell the story. You know, Weather Nation really lets me be the weirdo that I am and tell the story in my way. And and what they get from that is some cool, like non generic reporting. Yeah. There's an authenticity to it, you know. It, it, you are who you are. Then, as we discussed many times, because of my media background, I understand what it's like to have a story framed in New York City, and then implemented down here on the Gulf Coast. And sometimes the frame doesn't fit the story at all, but they don't care. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna frame it the way they want to frame it. And for someone like you, who's really into the authenticity, that is a non-starter, really. A hundred percent. You know, this has been every, you know, I've I've been working a lot in TV and sometimes with big corporations, you know, when my series Hurricane Man was happening, you know, before I signed my contract with the BBC in the United Kingdom and with um, with, uh, UK TV, you know, I had to make it really clear. I was like, listen, I want to make this show with you guys. And and I get that this is a big business deal and everything, but there's a couple of lines we can't cross. And one is I can't have like, you know, executives in London telling me which storms to go after or where to go. That was like a red line. 
and and it is for my domestic work as well. And and that's Weather Nation's so cool about that. You know, they're not like, well, you know, we really want you to be in Tampa because that's where the people are. They don't do that. They're like, they let me just hunt it down, do my thing. You know, we even, one thing, another part of my agreement with Weather Nation is they don't make me wear like, you know, Weather Nation branded stuff. They let me, you know, wear my black t-shirts. They let me be me. And that's just, you know, listen, I mean, as you get older, like creative control becomes a really important thing. You know, it's it's more important to me now than when it was when I was younger, when I was first doing TV, I was just excited to be on TV. You know, as I've kind of gone on, you know, in this process, you know, you just, you want to stay connected to who you are. So what's, what's been interesting watching you this year is that your excitement for the international chase, something you didn't get a chance to do during COVID. And the world really opened up to you again, didn't it? Bam, totally. I mean, it was really interesting. You know, COVID happened in 2020. And what was interesting is it coincided perfectly with this unbelievable burst of American hurricane activity. So in terms of like, keeping my chasing life alive, the timing was perfect. The, the the two years that I was just trapped in the United States and Mexico, you can we can go to Mexico. The, the two years that I was trapped in these two countries, there was just so much activity, you know, and, uh, and, and so it almost didn't matter. I was kept busy, but I really missed, you know, I'm an explorer, you know, I'm an international voyager and I missed that, that sort of part of my life. And this was the first year that just all, all the sort of old COVID travel restrictions are gone, even from countries like Japan and Taiwan that were like super strict. So that's been what's been exciting about this year was just sort of reconnecting with my international side, you know, just going to Taiwan to chase a big old typhoon down there. That was just awesome getting back there, you know, going back to the Philippines, you know, which we're going to talk about in a second, I know, but reconnecting to these places. I mean, I love... I love chasing in these foreign countries. Right now, I'm eyeing something in India, possibly next week, you know, in the Bay of Bengal. And I just, um, you know, as much as I love being here on the Gulf Coast, and I love Gulf Coast hurricanes, in some ways, it's my favorite turf. There's just, there's something exciting about going to the other side of the earth to hunt down these storms. What's, a, what's a, let's say Taiwan, for example. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away by what you're able to do. You're going to these places with this, a lot of turf that you're not familiar with. Maybe in some cases you are because you've done it before. But, I mean, in some cases not speaking the language, and you make your way. I don't know how you do that. And you and you end up chasing the storms very similar to like you would do in Mexico, for example. You know, um, How do you do that? I mean, each country has its own challenges, you know, and, 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 and they're, they're – you know, there's some things that are like harder about Taiwan. There's some things that are easier. So like, let's compare like Taiwan with Mexico. So language barrier is worse in Taiwan because Mexico, you know, I speak a little Spanish, uh, but, um, you know, Taiwan's infrastructure is is a little better, you know, and, and also there's a little, you know, it's, it's probably a little safer in Taiwan. So those things make it easier. So it's just everything's sort of like, you know, there's sort of like pluses and minuses. The tough thing with chasing in East Asia is the first step is a 14 or 15 hour flight just to get to that side of the earth, that continent. And then there's usually another flight after that and then a lot of driving. So 
you got to really be kind of on the top of your game to just sort of like fight through those like time zone differences and everything else. And, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners do, you know, regularly do those long haul kind of flights, like 14, 16 hour flights, but they're kind of toxic. You know, they really, they really zap your body and your mind. So there's a whole, you know, I've really learned how to kind of just like fight through that and, you know, you know, land on the ground ready to just hunt, you know, just keep going, you know, uh, that, so that's like, that's a big challenge too. Now in some of these countries, sometimes I chase with a fixer that makes things a lot easier. Someone who speaks the local language and everything else, you know, can even do some of the driving, but a lot of times I'm just on my own doing it myself. Taiwan is a particularly tough one and Japan is hard because there's just very few people in those countries. They just tend not to speak any English, even in the touristy areas. So that makes it challenging. <laughs> hey, my son, Justin is working on an international gig right now. That's going to take him all over the world. And one of the, he's got a meeting that he's preparing to do. He's going to go down to India to do two days of training and then go back to New York city. And Ann was looking at the map this morning. She said, I really, you know, just had to get it in my head. What was a flight from New York City to India? What does that look like? And she said, do you realize what's involved? I said, yeah, it's a long way, isn't it? <laughs> Especially for a two-day trip. Because uh, your body doesn't even adjust and you're turning around coming back again. But, man, it's those long, that you know, the, the 15-hour flight, for example. The, I, I don't, I, we did 11 hours to, to uh, Europe. And that, like, to kill both of us, you know. But uh, it's, it's tough. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why I say it. I tell you, know, when I go to like chaser conventions and I talk to, you know, a lot of storm chasers are just they don't even have passports. They're just, you know, they only chase the United States. And I, I, I try to kind of explain to them what it's like chasing around the world. And and I, I emphasize physical and mental conditioning a lot because I'll tell you, man, you your physical fitness it helps to be in good shape to 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 get through a fourteen hour flight and just get that plane ready to go. You know, yeah. it's like I know it sounds the opposite of what you think. Like, okay, well, you had fourteen hours just to rest, but it's like, nah, it's actually like a toxic fourteen hours, and your body kind of, you know, how you bounce back from that, and are you ready to just go, go, go after that? You know, I think it depends a lot on physical and also mental conditioning. You know, yeah. can you go without the sleep and everything? Well, what's interesting is is what when there is activity happening around the world, and watching you post about the possibility that you might go, and how enthusiastic you are about the possibility that you might go, and then when you make a decision that you're going to go, you just vanish. <laughs> I mean, you're. I mean, when you decide to go, it is it is a you go now. Right, because you've already you've already done the timing to say, okay, here's when I need to be there, and and it's it's go 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 at that point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's the, the lead up to the to the decision to chase is always one of the hardest parts, and I'm not talking when you know there's something threatening Texas. That's easy, just get in the car and drive there, and you know if it comes together, cool. If it doesn't, just drive home. But like when it's like, okay, am I going to go to Taiwan? Am I going to go to the Philippines? Am I going to go to India next week? Which I might do. Those are tough decisions because they involve a lot of time and a lot of money, and yeah. so. You know, there's always like I, there's a lot of angst usually before making that decision, and then uh, and then when I make the decision, then usually it's like I usually make the decision too late, and then I'm rushing like mad. So that's why I'm usually quiet for a little while. <laughs> yeah, wow. So we're v visiting with my friend Josh Morgerman. He's a hurricane chaser. 
and uh, he's got a really successful marketing company. He does a little bit of everything. He's got a reality TV show. He works with Weather Nation. He's got a big social media following. He's a big celebrity in the tropical, uh, you know, the, those who have interest in tropical, that's for sure. You know, they post about him all the time. So when we come back on the other side, we'll talk, as I mentioned, this incredible anniversary that he participated in over in the Philippines around Haiyan, a really, really significant storm that hit that area. We'll see you after this break. We all love living in Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend Josh Morgan, who lives during the hurricane season in Bay St. Louis. He's originally from New York City, but went on to, to have a terrific media marketing uh, uh, career in L.A. His name of his company is Symbolaze. They do a lot of different stuff, but including brand marketing, which is kind of his specialty. Uh, but uh, during the season, he lives here. Now, the season's about to be over. Usually, he probably would be back in L.A., but he's finishing up his house in Bay St. Louis, which we talked about at the beginning of the show, and that's, that's exciting. Hey, the one thing we didn't mention is your reality TV show specifically on Weather Spy, and uh, boy, they've done a great job of producing those. Let's tell people how to how to see that, and then also, you know, you can give us the latest. You can do another season. Yeah, so uh, it's uh, we produced thirteen episodes. It was a it was a big series. That was series one, and it played on a bunch of streaming platforms. Uh, Weather Spy is the channel which you can get on a bunch of streaming platforms. Now it's available on demand, but actually, I have to find out where it's available on demand. I'm actually not sure. I think it's like on Zumo and Samsung Plus and stuff like that. But it did well. This uh, the, the series did very well. Uh, the trusted media brands are really happy with how it did. That's the parent company for Juke, and they acquired Juke, and actually, which is what is the company that produced the show. So now we're in talks about a season two. So uh, it's funny now that um, you know, having produced this whole series, now um, you know, I'm very. It's given me a lot of insight in terms of like what are the building blocks and the the material that the producers and the directors need to put together an episode. So now when I'm on a chase, it informs kind of what I do. And my new rule of thumb is basically just shoot everything. Even when you're standing around an airport, get a shot of that because that that's a building block for the story of like you're getting there. When I'm in a really bad mood and I don't like how the chase is going and I'm really feeling grouchy, even though I don't want to, that's the time to do a piece to camera to talk about how I'm feeling because because as, as grouchy as I'm feeling, that makes good TV because they want to get that range of emotions and stuff and they don't want to just you know see that chasing is easy. They want to see the ups and downs of it. That's what gives the show tech and makes it interesting. Well, congratulations on that, and good luck with the season two. That's that's Thank cool. You. Hopefully. Uh- if not, I'm going to be somebody because you're getting better. You're getting better at, at, you know, just as you pointed out, capturing the video and you bring a good producer into the conversation and it makes for really good TV. It really does. And like one of the, I think, in fact, I think it was the inaugural show of uh, Weather Spy was Typhoon Haiyan. 
And it was, a, it was a really, really significant storm that killed a lot of people in the Philippines. And Josh was in the middle of it. And to, you ought to go see the, the, his, his telling of that story. It was incredible. But they went from chasing to saving. And it was uh, just, a, uh, just an incredible experience. And you went back there and got to visit with the people that you met during that chase. And I was blown away with how they just welcomed you back into their community. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, so this was a, this city is, it's Tacloban City in the Philippines, in central Philippines. So Super Typhoon Haiyan was the equivalent of a very high-end Category 5 hurricane, and it hit this city directly head-on, city of about 220,000 people. The city is on the tip of a peninsula, and it's pretty low-lying, and a tremendous storm surge at the height of the storm just swept the entire city, including downtown. The official death toll 6,000, but they, but even, even government officials off the record say to me it was likely 15 to 25,000, just dead bodies everywhere. So at the height of the storm, you know, my, my chase partners and I, we jumped in the water to pull people out to rescue them. And we actually, I'm very proud to say no one in our hotel died. The hotel went underwater, but we managed to get everyone upstairs. No one in our hotel died. There were injuries, but we were really psyched about that. But anyway, uh, the, the place was just the level of destruction is hard to put in into words. Just whole neighborhoods just wiped away. Actually looked kind of like the Mississippi Gulf Coast after Katrina, that level, like atomic bomb level destruction. Uh, you know, actually, that's that's a, a good equivalent where just whole air places like you can't even recognize them. Like, you don't you can't even find the streets like that level of destruction. So I went back three months after and then I went back a year after. And then I just went back for the 10-year anniversary. So I hadn't been back there in nine years. And it was just, it was, I have to say it was thrilling. Now, earlier in this episode, you, you described it as a celebration. And then you sort of caught yourself. What's interesting is that this year they called it a celebration. They actually, we talked about this with them. And they talked about how it had always been a sort of a day of mourning. And this year they decided, you know what? Nope, it's a celebration. Because... You know, just to celebrate their resiliency and how they fought back, kind of like the Mississippi Gulf Coast. You know, they're only 10 years on from their catastrophe, but the places, you know, it's it's better. It's better than it was in a lot of ways, you know, so that's the silver lining. You know, you can't bring back the, the human lives and a lot of people died. But but, you know, you can sort of celebrate that the city is coming back better than it was. And I think they're really trying to emphasize that. And it was I felt really good felt really good to go yeah, was back. Yeah, it was cool seeing, I mean, first of all, you, you took a lot of pictures and you, you related to your followers that it was and it was almost like coming home, immediate recognition, you blown away with how much construction and other improvements that have been made, as you pointed out. I mean, it, you know, we're really, when you have somewhere that's not been hit for a long time and then suddenly you wipe it off, you, you get a chance to kind of in a way with blank sheet of paper and go back at it, refortify to prepare for the next storm. And it's a lot of there's a lot of correlation, frankly, between the Mississippi Gulf Coast and what you what you saw in that wonderful Philippines town. And to think that two hundred and fifty thousand people live there, that's very significant. 
Oh, yeah. No, it's crazy. And what's interesting is in a lot of East Asia, like, like the, these gargantuan storm surges that we get in like Mississippi and Louisiana, that's actually, that's very specific to this region. There are other parts of the world. Usually when I'm chasing in Japan and Taiwan, this is going to sound, this is going to blow your listeners' minds. And those places, like a lot of them, Storm surge is not a factor because the the continental shelf offshore is shaped differently and it's, it's not conducive to storm surges. So you, you won't even get much storm surge. It's not even a factor. But this part of the Philippines is sort of more like the United States where it's got that flat, swampy land and that very gentle offshore slope that allowed for like a basically like a Mississippi style storm surge. Mm. <laughs> But but instead of it being, you know, smaller towns and cities, you had a like a big city in its way. And that's so why so many people you. died. They welcomed so, you with open arms. Oh, they like the, the treatment, you know, Mark and James and I, you know, we went as a trio and, and we are welcomed back as heroes. I think it's because, you know, there was. Hey, before I tell, I know who Mark and James are. But Mark, James, and Josh are all cult heroes in the chase arena. So explain who Mark and James are. So I chased Super Typhoon Haiyan with Mark and James, uh, the, my two chase partners, two British guys. We went there together. And at the height of the storm, uh, Mark and I jumped in the water to rescue people. Mark, there was wreckage under the water. We had to jump in this black, disgusting water. It was like just storm surge in a city. For some reason, I was lucky. My legs didn't touch anything, even though I couldn't see under the water. Mark hit some wreckage. His leg was totally ripped open. I mean, really down to the bone. Um, it got so infected. You know, we were stuck there for a couple of days. And by the time he got back to Taiwan, he lives in Taiwan because his wife is Taiwanese. By the time he got back to Taiwan, his leg was just, it was like basically rotting off. He was, he was one day from amputation was what they told him. And he had to have a bunch of very painful surgeries over the course of a year to kind of fix his leg. It's good now. It has some scars, but it's good. Um, we are treated like heroes when we go back there, like big banners welcoming us. Um, you know, we kind of stand out there because we're these tall white guys, but like, like people just coming up to us wanting to get pictures with us. I mean, nonstop. <laughs> like we are really, I, I think here's what I think it is. I think that this is a, this is a part of the developing world. I think they appreciate that these, that these Westerners took an interest and what was happening there, and that not only did we rescue people, but that we also got the story out to the world, you know, to show, you know, James's footage is is iconic. I mean, James's footage is, is really, I mean, I took footage too, but James is a terrific videographer, and he was the one, his footage is really what got onto all the news channels to show the world what happened, and I think that that's how the, the help started coming in, you know, that that's what made it a top news story around the world and got the resources coming in was that there are some Westerners in there getting the story out to the wealthy part of the, the world, you know, and what's interesting, one last thing, I want to add is all of the speeches that we heard from the president of the Philippines on down to the mayor and other local officials, officials, they were all, they took great care to thank the outside help, the, the other countries that help, the NGOs and non-governmental organizations that came in, um, they, they, they recognized that as a big part of the recovery for them. And that was, and that was, I really believe because we got the story out. 
It was, uh, you know, that's how I knew about it. Long, long before I knew you. You know, you're, you're the way you guys, all three of you, told the story, and uh, you, you were on all the major networks, and you know, we, we knew, we learned. It's important that we know what happened there because it tells you what can happen if you, you know, if you don't really appreciate or understand how severe the storm surge can affect a community, and um, you know, it could have been way worse here in coastal Mississippi. Mississippi had it been a night storm for Katrina. Can you only imagine? So anyway, we're going to continue our conversation in the final segment with, with Josh Morgan when we return. more of the Ricky Matthews show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews show. I have my friend Josh Morgan. He grew up in New York City at a very young age, you know, kind of got interested in hurricanes. He actually became a hurricane historian. He found tremendous success in his life developing this marketing company, but along the way this continued to chase hurricanes and then he became one the the hurricane chaser in the world. Hey, when we went to break, we were talking about this. Um, it was a celebration. It was a celebration of their resiliency and coming back the 10-year anniversary in this uh, this coastal community of the Philippines where, where Typhoon Haiyan hit. Uh, three hurricane chasers, uh, Josh Morgan among them, went back there and were celebrated by the community because they helped tell this story. But one of the important stories is when you wonder, you ask yourself, how did thousands of people die? How did thousands of people die? And we're going to correlate some of what Josh learned about that with something that is important for you, if you're especially new to coastal Mississippi, you need to pay attention to as it relates to future storms. But Josh, tell us the story. Why did so many people die? Well, it's really, it's painful to talk about because it was so unnecessary. So as I said earlier, probably between 15 and and 25,000 people died. It was never documented but but the the reason is because folks the the, the Pagasa, which is the Philippines Weather Service, had started to use the word storm surge in its forecast. You know, because they use English um, in in the Philippines. No one in the Philippines knew what that meant. No, they had no idea what storm surge meant. It just and think about it. If you don't know what it means, it's not intuitive that it's water. So. People didn't realize the water was going to come up like that. So there's this tremendous storm surge just swept the whole city in the region. Afterward, I talked to people the next day, and they said, why didn't they tell us the tsunami was coming? You know, if they just told us the tsunami was coming, then we would have gotten out of the way. And at first, my initial reaction, because I'm a weather nerd, I'm like, well, you know, it wasn't a tsunami. You know, they can't call it a tsunami because a tsunami is caused by geographical or geological events. And this was a meteorological event. And then I realized, you know what? It doesn't matter. To, to people on the ground, it was a tsunami. It actually had a tsunami-like behavior. So the bottom line is it was a communications breakdown. And, and the good news is now, folks in the Philippines, there is an awareness now because of Super Typhoon Haiyan. There's an awareness now of what storm surge is. They understand it's basically like a tsunami, and people get out of the way. And they've had no death tolls anywhere near that in um, in in typhoons since then, because people now understand it was a very costly lesson. But it was, uh, but it seems like it was learned. So that's a silver lining. But it just goes to show you, and I think our big tragedies in the United States. 
you know, the Galveston hurricane of, of uh, 1900, where eight to 12,000 people died. It, it wasn't a, a, a communications breakdown in the sense of people not knowing what words meant, but it was it was a communication breakdown in the sense of people didn't know the hurricane was coming. So storm surge deaths are always, always avoidable as long as people understand what's coming. Yeah, that's and again the story of Hurricane Katrina. We knew we were going to have high storm surge, but not as high as it ultimately was. And as a result, we we often said the Sun Herald that we thanked God that it was a daytime storm because it gave people who unfortunately were washed out of their homes the opportunity to hang on to trees or find some something floating to grab hold of. And thousands of people in coastal Mississippi did that. If it had been a nighttime storm, uh, Josh, I can't even even begin to imagine how bad it would have been. But a lot of people were caught off guard because even though they did warn that it was going to be high, no one ever anticipated that it would be as high as it ultimately was. I mean, you know, like in, in Waveland, near you, uh, more people were killed north of the railroad tracks. You know, and for Camille, that that was the, that was the, that's what stopped the water. It's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem with Katrina is, you know, it's hard to anticipate a sort of a benchmark event. I mean, that was a world record. Who in Mississippi that day expected that they would experience the highest storm surge on record in the Western Hemisphere? I mean, you know, y'all, y'all should feel really proud that you 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 lived through literally a world record. Um, yeah. you know, not a world, but Western Hemisphere record in terms of storm surge, you know, and uh you know, I mean, and, and what's so crazy is I think, you know, people in Mississippi, if anyone, I mean, folks here really are very savvy more than anywhere. I mean, folks here are hurricane nerds. They get it here. Folks really get it here and they understand. And even you guys who are so savvy to the threat were caught off guard because of the magnitude of that event. Yeah, the and the irony of the of the uh, Philippine story, the 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 high end story, and what caused so many people to die. The irony is that the headline in the Sun Herald the day after Hurricane Katrina, the headline read our tsunami because it was the year after the big tsunami and uh it was literally our tsunami and you know for people who are just new to the area and don't fully appreciate it what's interesting too there was some graphics that the weather channel used to use that showed the water calmly coming up i noticed today they got a little bit of ripple on top of the graphics but that's still not very accurate what i described it as the whitewater fury of, of the colorado river after a heavy rain that's what i observed and just violent and um, you know high waves and places that you would never have imagined and that's what you know the water gets in the house and then all of the furniture becomes battering rams on the way back out again and it's that's 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 how people get killed hey we're out of time josh it has been a pleasure to catch up with you my friend happy happy uh new year to you i'm sure we'll talk before the end of the new year uh, but i hope you have a great new year my friend Thanks, Ricky. It's always uh, always good to come on the show. I appreciate it. It's been it's been awesome. Talk to you soon. Listen, have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Mississippi Media Production.